Hey, you're listening to the My Therapy Podcast. I'm Justin Dickey, and it is Tuesday, March 27th, 2018. And today we might have our most important show to date. On this show, we have Michael Landsberg of Sick Not Week of TSN Radio, formerly of TSN Sports Desk, formerly of TSN Off the Record. Among the people in Canada that would be considered advocates for mental health, I would have to think that Michael tops the list. And he comes from a sports background where it's man up, suck it up, be tougher, that sort of environment. And when he started his started telling his story and started the Sick Not Week campaign, I talked to him a little bit in, in the uh in the conversation about what that meant if it uh made it any more significant coming from a sports background. And that's somebody from a sports background to, to talk openly about their mental illness. And uh, we had a fantastic conversation. He's such a kind and open person. I uh, When I started the conversation, I said, how much time do you have? Because he's a busy guy. It was just I didn't want to waste any of his time. And, his, and what he said was, I have as much time as you need, but no more than what you need. And I was like, okay, so we're just going to talk. And uh, it went very well. So without further ado, here's the conversation with me and Michael Landsberg. Uh, Michael Landsberg, thanks for taking the time for this, Michael. Well, it is my pleasure. Always, uh, always fun to answer questions rather than ask them. I'll start with a background on me. Uh, I've been following you since you initially spoke out about your mental health issues years ago. I was a big off-the-record fan, and uh, kind of naturally when you started talking about it, it resonated with me because I've dealt with depression for at least my entire adult life. I'm 31 years old, so I've had it. I've been dealing with this stuff for a while, and uh, I admired your strength immediately. And you know, ever since uh, I was, I was for years way too scared to speak out about anything. We fast forwarding a little bit. We actually met briefly a couple of years ago on Bella's Talk Day. I uh-huh. was I was the PR guy for Raptors 905, and uh, you spoke right. you spoke at our game. And uh, I wanted to, that day. I wanted to talk to you so badly about kind of what I was going through. It was one of the rougher days I had had in that period, and uh, and I had you know like may, might have had a chance to speak with you, and uh, I was just kind of too scared to even admit it at that point. I wasn't ready. Fast forward again to this Bellas Talk Day, and I finally found the strength to share my story on Twitter. The night before, I. Uh, I watched the Paul Ranger feature that Darren Drager had done on TSN, and uh, right. I I was really moved by that. And I said, I, you know, I think it's really I got to I got to do this now. Um, the Twitter reaction after I did that on Bella's Talk Day was overwhelmingly positive, and everything I've done since then has been overwhelmingly positive. And I have to thank you for that. 
Well, I would disagree with that, but let's, uh, let, let's, uh, I won't disagree with you too early in the interview, but later on, I will turn the tables on you and I will tell you all of the things that you said were wrong. Um, but I, I put that in the context of, you know, part of that is tongue in cheek and part of it is deflecting a compliment that you, you, you threw towards me, which I will take care of later on. But thank you for that introduction. Okay. So, uh, yesterday, in preparation for speaking with you, I rewatched Darkness and Hope, your film about depression, your about right. depression. And early on in that film, there were a few words that really struck me. You said, don't wait, seek help, talk about it right away. And that really moved me when, when you said that. So going into your story, what prompted that for you? What, what changed? Um, how long did you suffer in silence and kind of what, what changed? Right. I, I never suffered in silence because everybody knew my story. So it was not a secret at all. I was never ashamed. I never hesitated to tell people. I remember when I came back from my first psychiatrist appointment, uh, you know, I told everyone, hey, I'm on Prozac. So it was it wasn't it, it wasn't the stigma did not affect me at that point. What what uh, the reason why I didn't talk about it until 2009 on Off the Record or any other platform that I may have had is because I, I didn't think there was a value to it. I, I thought, well, why would I talk about it? Who would care? You know, and I, and I thought that not only would people not really care about it, but they would just kind of see me as a complainer, as someone who's trying to um, pick up popularity. Because, you know, I've always known that I'm a polarizing figure. People either like me or don't like me, and those who don't like me tend to think I'm arrogant. So then it would be, oh, okay, well, now you're looking for sympathy. So I just I just never bothered to talk about it. Um, but everybody in my life really knew about it. My family, my friends, people I worked with. And it wasn't until 2009 when just by chance I talked about it, not because I was hoping to make a difference in people's lives at all, because I didn't know that there was that kind of value. I just talked about it because I was trying to do an interesting show with Stefan Riche, uh, and I thought it was just a, 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 a good question to ask him. Nothing more, nothing less. So when did, I guess, when did that change the part where you didn't think that it was a big deal, you didn't see any value in it, and then all of a sudden you did? What happened? Okay, well, let, let's, let's look at the exact timing. So I, uh, I, you know, we shot that show, like most shows, probably about 3.30 in the afternoon. So it aired uh, a couple hours later. Uh, and um, I, I had no idea about anything, about reaction until... The next morning, when I got to work, uh, someone alerted me because I didn't check the OTR emails uh, all the time uh, because, you know, most of them were, were really as simple as, hey, you suck, Lance Bergen. You know, you're an idiot. You know, I hate the Leafs or whatever. I mean, you know, I would check it every once in a while and have a good laugh, but that was it. But then uh, a guy that I was working with said, you know, you should take a look at this. And uh, I did. And, and that's when my life started to change because I saw the reaction. And so I ended up corresponding with the 22 people that had e emailed me, the effect that hearing me and Stefan Riche talk about our, our, our depression. And I can remember throughout that day, because I was going back and forth, I remember I was having dinner with my, my wife's family, and I was on my, on my phone responding. And uh, I said, uh, I, I guess probably Karen, my wife asked me, you know, like, what are you doing? And I said, take a look at this. And I showed her one of the emails that I had received from one of those 22 people. And essentially, they all said the same thing. They all said it was the first time in their lives they've seen two men talking about their mental health struggles without shame and embarrassment, without seeming weak. And because of that, they were empowered 
to share with me something they'd never shared with anyone. I was the first person they ever told. And the only reason why was because I was safe, because they knew that I understood what it was like. And because they felt like for the first time in their life, they had a place to turn that would not judge them, that would be 100% safe. And I was just blown away by that. And so I went back and forth in conversations with all of these people. And that absolutely changed my life. My, I, I think the date was like October the 20th when that, when that show aired. So on October the 21st, I was a different person than I was on October the 20th. And my life was heading in a new direction. Wow. And I, I can attest to being another person that kind of felt the same way as those people who emailed you did. I just didn't happen to email you. Yeah, I knew. I, I knew you didn't. And it pissed me off. You know, I kept checking, <laughs> you know, where's Justin? Where, you know, did he message me? And yeah. it was not there. And it was a great disappointment. But now we're now now we're chatting. So that's good. Yeah. Um, going back to you talked in the film as well about Grey Cup 2008. You kind of hit your rock yeah. bottom. What did rock bottom look like for you? Uh, it looked uh, it looked dark. Actually, it was dark because it was 4 a.m. in the morning. Uh, it was in Montreal at the Grey Cup 2008 Marriott Hotel, room 521, sitting on the edge of the bed, not lying down at 4 a.m., but sitting on the edge of the bed thinking, wow, you know, like this pain is so oppressive. It's so constant that I, I, I really wondered, um, you know, how long I could go on feeling this. But I, I also had been through this four times before. I had been on medication four times. Each time I'd gotten um, better. Uh, medication certainly doesn't cure me, but it, you know, it, it made me better. And I returned to a place in my life that I could say, yeah, I'm satisfied to be here. Uh, so I had that belief that there was a chance that uh, I could turn it around. But I was definitely afraid that I would have to live like this, that this time when I went back on medication and when I went for treatment, that it wouldn't work and that I would be forced to address how do I, how do I live my life in this much pain? And that for me was, was rock bottom for sure. I started back on meds. I'd actually already started. I started a week before. And one of the things with medication is sometimes you get a paradoxical effect where you get worse before you get better. So that was the worst part for me. And uh, I, I have I filed that away. I can close my eyes on stage and and recollect it and, and think back to what I thought at the time. And I, I can use that to help other people who can say, yeah, you know, me too. I get that. You get me. But I can also use it to to celebrate the fact that I'm not there, that I, I, I did my 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 desperate hope. On, on that day was realized because I, I did find my way back to a place that was, that was reasonable. Um, did you use any kind of methods besides medication to help in your recovery? Did you seek therapy or anything like that? Originally I did. So there, there was, uh, I guess about a 10 year uh, period where, um, you asked me, um, when, when I started talking about it publicly and what got me to do it. And there was 10 years that I had, being uh, on and off medication. Uh, originally, when I when I first realized that I was sick, I went, you know, I talked to a psychiatrist. We I went for therapy once a week for probably six months, uh, and you know, I, there, there was, I, I guess, a benefit to it. But you know, I I always felt like uh, that there was just something so off in my brain on 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 those days and those times when I've been depressed, it was so, it was so profoundly different. Like 
like just, you know, I, you know, that I had set the shower to warm and I got in and it was freezing cold and that no amount of talk about how cold I was and how I wanted it to be warmer was going to make any difference. I just, I just know when it hits me and I just know that I can't talk it out of me. I can't, I can't rationalize it. I just need something to fix it. And as as you say that, it resonates so much with me. And I've said on Twitter before that um, your your daily lands blogs. So often, I feel like I'm looking in a mirror. Like everything you say is just bang on with kind of how I'm feeling. So that's kind of the same thing there. Yeah, it's just you know, like some people, and I can get a feel for for it because I have these conversations with so many people, and and plus, you know, I have the the benefit, the knowledge of having experienced it myself and continuing to experience it. You know, one of the things that I say when I when I when I give a speech off it is uh, that you're going to ask me what's the difference between sadness, something that we all experience in our life, and depression, the illness, not something we all experience. And often I'll I'll say you know, I can distinguish 100% absolutely what the difference is. And for instance, I said, you know, my mom has Alzheimer's and that makes me really sad, but it doesn't make me depressed. They are two vastly different feelings. And, you know, that kind of, that, that kind of self-reflection can be really helpful um, to somebody like you who might go, yeah, me too. That's it. You know, Landsberg's talking about how he wakes up in the morning and he doesn't feel joy. Oh my gosh, that's me. Now I would gain the same benefit from, from you talking and me hearing, uh, and saying the same thing. So it's not me saying, Hey, look at me. I have this unique ability to do it. Um, but from my standpoint, sharing and, and the deeper the sharing, the more candid, the more open you are, the more the benefit. Yeah. Depression is, uh, kind of active and ongoing for me i was i actually spent some time in the hospital a couple of weeks ago i was in, in the oakville hospital for 12 days and uh even leading up to this interview i was filled with kind of some self-doubt i'm talking to a, a veteran broadcaster and he you know you might think that i'm a joke but uh i i you know i can't speak for the rest of the interview but i, I would say now that there would be nothing that uh i have heard from you that would make me not only not think you, that you're a joke, but not think, wow, this, you know, these are good questions, confident questions, phrases them well. You know, I'm engaged in this interview and I'm not acting. And a lot of times when you're interviewed by someone who, who isn't, isn't very good, you, you got to pretend, right? I, I would never, I would never disrespect someone and, and, you know, give them short answers because I didn't think they were worthy of longer ones. But, you know, you're great, but you just described the illness. So even in, in talking about the anxiety uh, and the fears that you have leading up to this interview, you help other people who go, yeah, well, you know, Justin, he's doing really well, but he didn't think he was going to do really well because the illness speaks to us. It, 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 you know, the illness, at least to me, has a voice, and that voice is this this voice of negativity, this voice that plays on all of our fears. It knows how we're vulnerable, and it makes us pay for that. So, you know, that voice that you heard that was telling you, you know, maybe I'm going to think you're a joke is, is bizarre. Why would I think that? But the voice is so powerful and so convincing, it makes sense. And I guess it goes without saying that you probably feel similarly in everyday life i i do you know when 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 i struggle and i have to do and i, and I have to do something 
outside of the normal, whether it had been off the record or whether it, it it's doing a radio show, when, when, especially when I give a speech, if, if I'm not feeling good, if I'm struggling leading up and struggling that day, I'm, I find it, uh, I find what is the easiest thing in the world for me, which is to get on stage, grab a microphone, say, get out there for an hour and make a difference in people's lives. When I feel good, that's an absolute joy to me. That's, that's what I, I have chosen to do with my life. And I love, I, I love that experience. But when I don't feel good, when I have doubts about myself, when I question what I bring to the stage in that kind of situation, then, then I hate it because I just, you know, it eats me up in advance. I'm just worried, you know, uh, you know, these, what happens if I get up there and, you know, and I can't be me and I struggle for things to say. Uh, and I know that people expect a lot of me because, uh, because I have a lot to give. So, yeah, I hear that voice. And what's so powerful about what you've been talking about is that, like, you come across as someone that just exudes confidence. And the fact yes. that you don't is, um, you know, that, that says a lot about what it can do to you. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, and, and I actually use that to my advantage. I use the fact that people have always seen me as arrogant on TV. Not, not in real life. I, I don't think anyone would say that. They would just say, you know, he's got kind of a bounce to a step. He's super confident, maybe a little cocky, but likable. But, you know, I use that arrogance to my advantage because people don't perceive arrogance and weakness together. So if depression could take me down, you know, with with what you call, you know, this overactive self-confidence, then obviously it's not about weakness. Obviously it is an illness. And I also prove that people can wear the mask, that I could come across seeming a certain way but not feeling it that way. And the lesson is that you can't always tell by what people say, how they look, their demeanor as to what, what's the status of their mental health. And that's really scary because people can look like they're fine, but not be fine. That's an interesting way to transition to my next question. Also in the film, uh, the other thing that was really powerful to me was uh, your conversation with uh, Roddy Piper in the green room. Right. When he said that he cries uh, he sometimes he can't leave his room for three days and suicidal thoughts are his biggest problem yep. coming from a sports background I kind of feel like you've had a bigger impact because you're in a macho suck it up be a man sort of environment how do you think that background has affected your advocacy well I, I think it's I think it's an advantage for sure a it's an advantage because the audience that watches is the toughest audience to reach and that uh, the 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 40 year old man is much less likely to go for help than the 40 year old women men we know buy into the concept of uh, of toughness is crucial and if you perceive mental illness depression and anxiety in particular as being a weakness then you won't admit it that you have it you won't reach out for help because you don't want to be perceived as weak so I have a big advantage in, in who I'm talking to. I have a big advantage in, in this, this, this world of sports where people always relate mental toughness as being, you know, incredibly important. And Mike Babcock speaks about that all the time. Mm -hmm. Mental toughness and mental illness have nothing to do with each other. They're two totally separate things. In fact, I would say that the, the, the greatest 
the greatest proof for me that I am mentally tough is the fact that I have suffered from this depression, this debilitating illness. And I have, you know, continued to go on with my life, first and foremost, but also that I persevered for help and that I've gone on with my life doing the things that I wanted to do and that I, I have, uh, I've been debilitated by it but I've still fought through it. So not only, and I say this to a lot of people, not only are you not mentally weak, but you may be the mentally strongest person in the room. Because think of how easy life would be if you didn't have this massive weight on your shoulders called depression. So I, I think the world of sports is is a really good foil for for this discussion. And every time somebody comes out who is an athlete that we perceive as being really strong, like Clara Hughes, I mean, everybody around the world knew her as mentally probably the toughest person that they ever saw. Because, you know, if she was in contention on the last leg or the last lap of a speed of uh, in speed skating or near the end of a bike race, she would never lose because she would just fight like hell to win. And there's no way that anyone would ever call her mentally weak. So if she says, I have depression, obviously, it's not a weakness. And Clara and yourself were kind of the faces of Bellette's talk from the outset. And uh, I'm just curious to know, how did Bellette's talk and Sick Not Week come to be? Was Bellette's talk your idea or was it kind of developed, oh God, no. Was no. It developed no. as a result Bellet's... of your story though? No, no. Bellette's talk was uh, as a result of George Cope, who's the president and CEO. He went to, uh, his mom suffered from um, pretty debilitating depression and he felt like, he wanted to do something to make a difference in that area. And he decided that he would take it to, uh, to his board. And this was after, um, after they purchased uh, what was then CTV, TSN, and that whole family of stations. And they created this thing called Bell Media. So it was a perfect vehicle for that. So he made this commitment of $52 million for five years to, uh, to raise the profile of mental illness and to reduce the stigma. So that was, that had nothing to do with me. Now, Sick Not Weak has everything to do with, with me and, and now others, but it lived in my head from that day that I interviewed Stefan Riche, or to be exact, the next day. The next day, Sick Not Weak was born. I didn't know those words, but I knew that the, the whole challenge of, of this, of reducing the stigma, of saving people's lives who are too embarrassed and ashamed to talk about their mental illness, that it was all about showing people that this was a sickness like like anything else like cancer or lupus or or any infection that it was not it was it was not something one chose you 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 didn't bring it upon yourself you can't will it away uh, and if people would see it as a sickness not a weakness then all of a sudden those that struggled in silence would go for help those who had gone for help but were still struggling would feel less shame and embarrassment and maybe most of all caregivers would begin to see this not as a weakness that their spouse or their child or their parent or their coworker or their employee has, but a sickness like anything else. Hmm. And that, that sick, not weak hashtag is so simple, but it's also so powerful and that it, it says so much with so few words. Did that, was that kind of an automatic uh, development in kind of your brain to come up with that? Or did it take, what, what, how did that come about? The, the phrase sick, not weak. Yeah. Uh, I was given a speech and, you know, I, I always search for people to challenge me 
because we know the stigmas out there, but no one, no one has the guts really to say, yeah, you know what? I do see mental illnesses as different than physical illness that I, I do see. I do think that, you know, Michael, I understand you have this thing, but come on. You know, we know that 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 stigma still exists. It's still pervasive, but no one ever admits to it. So I finally found someone who said, you know, I said, please challenge me. Let's debate this. And I and I remember near the end of this debate that we were having. So I was speaking in front of a uh, an audience. I said, like, you know, I'm sick, but I'm not weak. And it kind of just stuck. And to be honest with you, I don't remember what the evolution was after that. I remember saying it once. And then I, I, I think I went, well, you know, I kind of like that because you're, you're always looking for portable ways to convey a message, especially in 2018. You know, what you can, if you can say it in 40 world, words, it's better to say it in, in 30. And what's better than 30 is 20. And what's better than 20 is 10. And what's better than 10 is three. And, you know, the more you can make something portable and accessible to people, the better it is. At least that's my experience. So sick, not weak kind of just stuck. Hmm. Are you between ballots talk and uh, sick not week? Have you been surprised by the growth of those campaigns, or uh, how did how did you kind of envision that rolling out? Well, I mean, Bell Let's Talk has has been massive forever. I mean, it's just it's just this this machine that is you know grown to the point where you know they they get a hundred million people um, communicate every every. Uh, Bell Let's Talk Day using the hashtag or in some other way, 130 million, I think, this past year. That's crazy. But not surprising only because Bell Media has this enormous reach. So they're kind of uniquely suited to spreading this message because of all of the vehicles that they have. Sick Not Week, uh, I I don't think uh, it's, uh, I mean, Sick Not Week compared to Bell Let's Talk Day would be like comparing Blue Mountain to Whistler. You know, we, we are, we are tiny, but we're different in the way that we're, we're personal. This is, this is something that is really all about the one word that I think is the most important word for us. And that is we. You know, I don't talk about me. I don't talk about you. I talk about us. And it's that feeling of being understood that is the most powerful. And so, uh, you know, I think I think Signal Week has 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 been good, but you know, I, I'm disappointed that it's that it's not bigger, uh, because in this case, bigger is better, because bigger, you know, obviously reaches more people. Uh, that's not to say that the fact that every couple of days, uh, maybe every day, I'll hear from someone who says, you know, it really made a difference in my life, and maybe once a week, I'll hear from someone who says, you know, it saved my life. And, you know, I was in North Battleford, Saskatchewan, giving a, a speech. And afterwards, I was standing by the stage and talking to people. And this guy comes up, rolls up his sleeve and says, take a look at this. And he's got a sick, not weak tattoo on him. And, you know, like that to me was like a really cool moment that, you know, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm on my deathbed sort of reflecting back at some of the cool things in my life, it would one of them would be seeing someone with this tattoo of this idea that, um, was born from the worst illness that I've experienced and um, given life to by a whole bunch of other people who saw it the same way. That's pretty special. Um, I think I would fall into the category of, you know, you might have potentially saved my life because for the longest time I wasn't comfortable with it. But the fact that you kept kept pushing and kept that that conversation going was probably what gave me the strength to 
finally do something about it. Yeah, you know, you know, I mean, the 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 best thing for me is that this is incredibly easy. I mean, you, you said I'm, I'm trying to remember when you introduced me. You paid me a compliment about I think you, you may have said being brave. Not true. Now you were brave because this this scared you, right? The idea of of sharing your illness was it was intimidating. Yeah. Am I correct? Yeah. But for me, it never was. You know, I was never I, I I was never wired that way. So that first day when I spoke about it on TV, it was like I I could care less what anyone thinks, and that I could care less attitude can be conveyed to other people. You know, you you hear someone talk about it, you go, well, okay, well, you know, he doesn't sound weak. You know, the worst fear that that someone like you, when you were in the closet still, is that you hear someone talking about it. You go, oh, my God, that sounds terrible. You know, if someone said, oh, well, you know, and and I try to coach people, if you're going to share, share it this way, share it, you know, by saying, essentially, this is what I have. I demand that you respect it. I'm I'm not weak. I didn't I didn't ask for this. This is not a self-inflicted illness. This is something that hit me and I need your help. And to have your help, I need your respect as opposed to saying something like, you know, oh, gosh, I, I don't know why I'm like this. You know, I, I get depressed. I, I know I should, I should be thankful for everything I have, you know, but I, I, I just, I don't, I don't know. I guess it, you know, I guess it's kind of my fault. I mean, that's how people see the illness. And when you share your illness in that way, People are always going to see you as weak because you because you sound weak. So if if when you know when I, on that TV show with Stefan Riche, if I had if I had said, oh, Steph, you know, I'm glad you're doing well. I don't know why people like you and I get like this. You know, I guess we just you know, I guess we just don't appreciate the good things in our lives. And, you know, people, no one would have gained strength for that. That would have kept people in the closet because they would have listened and gone, well, you know, God, I, I don't want to sound like that. So, you know, the stronger and as, as you go on uh, on being an advocate for sharing, you know, the stronger you say it, the more value you have for people, because people are taking their lead from you. They're listening and going, well, you know, I don't mind sounding like that. Like you, 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 you have to put yourself in the position of the next person who's listening to you. And what you want them to think is, yeah. Yeah, I, I could say that because that sounds strong. Hmm. Uh, you kind of already touched on this, but I'm going to ask you it anyway because there's anything else. What's your favorite moment or two that you've had through your activism? Is there is anything stand out as particularly inspiring or surprising? You know, there's there's uh, a whole bunch that are tied. Um, but I, I, I should vary it up and not use like the same stories. But you know, when someone, when, when someone says to you that you impacted their life, that, that's huge. Uh, I was in Ottawa giving a speech. This would have been probably in the fall. And I, I checked into my hotel and I was standing there waiting for my key and a woman comes up behind me and she says, I just wanted to say that you saved my life. And she hugs me and she's, she's crying. And you know, what could, what could be more powerful than that? Uh, so that would be tied with, with other moments like that, that you go, okay, well, this is amazing. Uh, and I tell people, don't make the leap to saying, okay, well, you saved my life. Like I swam out to the middle of the lake to save you. I, I, I may have saved your life, but it was incredibly easy for me to do it. Uh, I 
like I told you, I never felt shame or embarrassment. I never hesitated to talk about this. So in a, in a certain sense, shame on me if I don't do it, because I know how easy it is, right? Like you and I are having this conversation. Does this sound like it's difficult for me at all? No, not at all. No. So shame on me if I don't do it, if I find out the value is enormous for people. Um, if it's easy for me to do and it has value to other people, then uh, it's not that I should be applauded for doing it all the time. I think I, I should be um, criticized if I don't do it because it's easy and it makes a difference. You had said uh, you never saw any value in it before, and I guess I kind of had the same experience. I went from telling my wife I wanted to kill myself last May to finally getting help in October because I kept resisting it. And then between October and January 31st, I worked up the strength to tell the world. And ever since that, I've had so many people, uh, friends, colleagues, acquaintances, uh, reaching out and saying, you know, I deal with something similar. And uh, it's just been nothing. I, I was just – all I keep thinking every day is like why did I wait so long? Why did I Why did I hide for so long? Because it's – I find that even in my experience, I don't have nearly the footprint that you do, but I, I'm, I seem to be helping people too. For sure. And one of the things I say whenever I give a speech, I say, look, you know, I, none of this is me boasting and none of this is me saying I'm doing something that uh, that is unique. The reason why I may have a bigger footprint on you is, is not that my, my story is better than yours. It's just that because of my career, uh, I have platforms available to me. And because I have some notoriety, I have, I have recognition that people go, okay, well, let's bring that guy in to speak. But my message is no more or less valuable than your message. And your message is no more or less valuable than anybody who's listening to you. So I, I, I think that probably when you look back and you say, you know, I should have done it earlier. Um, that's all well and good, but you weren't ready to do it. Uh, and you didn't know then what you know now. And you know now, this is the secret. I tell people, okay, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that you should, if, if you're afraid of being perceived as weak, if you're a 28-year-old a, a guy and you go, hey, you know, I, I don't want women to see me as weak. I want women to like me or whether it's a woman and a man, or whether it's two men, whatever it is. I say, what you don't understand is that the most popular person in the room is going to be you. If you get up in front of the room and you talk about your struggles and you say why you're doing it, no one is going to look down at you. It's quite the opposite. So ironically, the thing that we fear is being seen as weak. But if we say it properly, not only are we not seen as weak, we're seen as strong. So that's the bizarre thing about this. And, and you experienced it, right? Like you thought, oh, my gosh, people will look down at me and, you know, like I, I, I won't be seen the same way. And you're not seen the same way. You're seen as, as stronger, tougher and better. Yeah. And besides that, if there's anybody that does see it the other way, you know, I don't I feel like I don't really need them in my life. That's, you know, that's kind of not necessary. Uh, agreed as well. Um, you know, and I, I think that's an important point to make, which, which is this, um, for people that are not integral to your life. I mean, you wouldn't say this to your wife because she's obviously important to your life. Um, but to, to others, it's like, Hey, you know what, if you, if you don't accept this, if you don't accept me, if you keep telling me, you know, come on, suck it up, 
then you know what? I don't need you in my life because I, I don't need this because I know that you are wrong. This is not a debate as to whether I'm strong or weak. This is not a debate as to whether mental illness is um, relates to mental toughness. This is the way it is. And if you can't accept it, then uh, I can't accept you. Yeah. Last question. What's uh, what's next for you in Sick Not Week? You know, we just came back from a trip to North Battleford, a community that had been struck by three teenage suicides in a couple of weeks in January. And then um, we got there. I guess it would, would be two weeks ago now on Wednesday. And on the Monday, um, they had another uh, young person uh, take their life. Wow. So the idea of going to communities and doing events, we, we did this, this event that was, was pretty, pretty memorable for me. It was pretty exciting to see 3,000 people in the crowd, which was all we could fit in the Civic Center, to see a community come out and, and, and believing in our message and our message is really simple. You know, it's not like we say, Hey, you come out and listen to us. We're going to give you, you know, give you a cure to your illness. It's not like it's one of those real estate programs where we, where they say, Hey, come out and take this seminar and you'll be making, you know, $5,000 a week from your home. This is, is really no more or no less that come out, understand mental health a little bit better. If you struggle, feel better about yourself. And if you care about someone who struggles, then maybe you'll have a better understanding. And every time people respond to that, I kind of feel validated. Hmm. Anything else you want to add before I wrap it up? Uh, I would say that um, you are the next generation. You're, you're the next me. And, um, you know, I, I, I like the, the sound of your voice. Uh, and, and by that, I mean the confidence of your voice. You know, this, I don't care what you think kind of attitude, which is infectious. Someone hears you and they go, yeah, I can do that. And they do it. Then somebody else hears them and they go, I can do that as well. It's kind of like this big game of tag, you're it, you're it, you're it. Um, so I'm tagging you in. I'm not going anywhere. We're both it. But um, your message is really powerful and really, uh, really easy to relate to. I think it was two weeks ago that uh, I was in the hospital. I just changed medications, and I I don't know if it was a if it was a withdrawal symptom or what. But uh, there was one morning that I had, I had told my psychiatrist, I told a social worker that I was going to kill myself, and the, there was no other way about it. And uh, I am not entirely sure what happened since then, if it was the new medications kicking in, but I found a new hope in life. I, I worked with a couple of peer support workers while I was in the hospital, and I thought that's what I should do. So I've kind of, I'm um, starting to work on that to become a peer support worker, and that I'm starting with that on social media. I'm constantly checking the hashtag to, to talk to people that need to be talked to, and uh looking into, you know, all sorts of ways that I can try to start to get into that space. So you might not like to hear it, but you have been a big uh, reason for this. And um, for the first time in my life, I truly believe, believe in what I'm doing. So I thank you for that. I really appreciate you doing this. I know your time is valuable. Let me say one thing. Okay. Let me give you some advice. Okay. Let me give you some advice, son. Um, <laughs> what, what you were feeling... Um, when you said to your psychiatrist and your social worker that you're considering taking your life, think, file away what that felt like, file away what you could, what could have been said to you to give you comfort. 
because you will come across people who are where you were. And it's this great mystery of what's the right thing to say? What's the right thing to do? How do you talk to someone who's on the ledge, who's on a bridge and has one foot over? And the fact that you have been there, that you have had your one foot over, you have this this unique ability to translate that into not being the person that gets help, but the person that gives help. And that can be really precious and that can make a huge difference to someone. Well, when I met with, uh, when the psychiatrist came in, uh, he basically said in the nicest way possible that we can't help you if you don't change your attitude, basically. And then the social worker said basically the same thing. And what I needed in that moment was somebody to come in and say, I've been where you've been. I came back from it and you're going to too, and I'm going to help you. And that's what I've decided I need to do. Great. And you you need to you need to celebrate that you know it's it's one of the things i do in the blog is i put marks on my arm when i'm having a bad day mm-hmm. and that um tends to be a really good reminder um not just to me but to people who watch the blog right you know i i don't need that reminder but it's healthy i look at my arm and i see four marks on my arm right now and then i realize it's the 26th of the month so the question is do i celebrate all of the empty space where there could be another 22 marks or do I lament the four that are there? And that's, that's what you should be doing right now. You should be celebrating the fact that, you know, you, you are in a far better place and that you have your life back and that if it's ever taken away from you again, you need to use some of the confidence that you would develop from having been there and beaten it before. And when I mean beaten it, I don't mean that it's gone but you have survived all of those thoughts and you can do it again, but you want to use what you battled through this time, next time, if it hits you. Thank you for that. You had said to me before we started, uh, I could have as much time as I needed, but no more time than I needed. How'd I do? I was great. I was engaged. I, you know, <laughs> I, I have no idea how long we went. How, how long did we go? Uh, about 40 minutes. Yeah. See, there you go. It flew by because he asked good questions and because, I related to you, and don't forget at the at the you know at the end of the day, I'm 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 a patient, right? I'm someone who struggles, and hearing other people who understand me is powerful for me as well. So you you um, this conversation is is really healthy for me. Michael, keep fighting, keep talking, and keep inspiring. I hope our paths right. cross again you soon. Keep, yeah, you make them cross. You make <laughs> them cross, buddy. All right. You know, um, uh, great job, man. And if you uh, if you want to if you want to chat, just reach out to me anytime. Thanks. All right, dude. Great job. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. Once again, I want to say thank you to Michael Landsberg. Uh, he's a guy with uh, a lot of stuff going on, and he didn't have to sit with me for 40 minutes and do an interview for this podcast but I think that's a testament to the kind of guy he is and um, the understanding his own understanding of the impact he can have on anyone I hope you enjoyed that conversation and uh, coming up Thursday I'm going to have a special interview with my uncle Jason he is a recovering alcoholic he's been in recovery for almost 16 years and uh, 
his conversation was really eye-opening for me and I think it's gonna mean something to a lot of people whether you know him or not so stay tuned for that one on Thursday and before we wrap up I just want to say this podcast is brought to you by Dickie's Meats because once again my dad pays for the hosting so until anyone else is going to pony up some money he's the only one that gets advertising on this podcast so thanks for listening and we'll see you on Thursday Thursday